0: Okay, episode 179 of Auto Off Topic. What's going on, Brad? Oh, not too much, Andrew. What's going on with you? Oh, not much. You were here in person over the weekend, but we didn't do a podcast in person. so well, We did not. We did not have time this time.
1: Things got out of hand, or out of time, I should say, because we were doing all kinds of other things.
0: Yeah, so there's a bunch of project car updates. Uh, coming, Yeah, but before that, it was Daytona Weekend, right? I believe that's called Daytona Speed Weeks. It used to be Daytona Speed Weeks. Absolutely. I'm trying to think of what they call it now. No, they don't do spe- Speed Weeks. used to be because it went from 24 hours of Daytona, I believe, right into Daytona, in, into the Daytona 500, Then they split them up more. They still call it Speed Week. I was trying to think of what uh,
1: no no what they call it on TV like. That's the NASCAR Daytona 500 race to the cup full of cigarettes sponsored by cell phones. That was like
0: Daytona Day. Daytona Day, that's what it is. Yeah, probably. Um, probably
1: the big the big game without footballs.
0: Yeah, that's what they try to build it up as. I mean, it is NASCAR is the most popular motorsport. In the United States, even though it's floundering. Yep, but it still is. It was the biggest. So even if it lost a little bit, it's still the biggest. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, And uh, well, they started the race on Sunday, but then they had to finish it Monday night because of rain, Mm -hmm. uh, because you
1: can't race NASCAR in the rain. No, they don't. uh, They don't have rain tires or wipers. Oh, they have experimented with them in the past on road courses. I remember a few years ago, there was a Watkins Glen race that was run in the rain, and it was an absolute disaster. (laughs) Oh, it was super fun to watch. Oh, it was, but it was just, it was, it was like watching a bunch of amateur drifters. Like it wasn't, it wasn't not good.
0: (laughs) Um, But anyway, they ran the race uh, Monday night. Uh, I didn't get to catch it. I was busy. Yeah, I was, on, I I was caught, on an
1: airplane, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, I caught the highlight because the big news was, of course, the big one that you always get at super
1: speedways. Um, well, I don't, that, that crash wasn't the big one. That was just a crash at the end of the race. It didn't take out more than a couple of cars. The big one is when it takes out like half the field because everybody's so bunched together. But nonetheless... I, I, I record. believe
0: they had a big one maybe before that. Oh, they the reason they did. it was on a restart because they have that rule where they can't end on a yellow. So um, they were really battling towards the end. Uh, actually, and I'm even blanking on, I don't even know. So Ryan Newman was leading the race. And it looked like from the replay, he was pulling out to block for the win.
1: Yeah, he was trying to keep and, his position in first because somebody had a slingshot like draft on him. And I don't know who it was. Um,
0: so yeah. we're such huge NASCAR fans anyway somebody got it in the back of them they were trying to pass for the win I mean it was a pretty exciting finish it was really really it was going to be the closest one of the closest finishes ever and he got into the back of the car it got sideways and then he turned toward the wall which is super scary because it's literally it was almost 20 years to the day or 19 years to the day, that yeah. Earnhardt was killed that way. And his car, Earnhardt's car, stayed on the ground, but uh, Newman's car, as it turned, it lifted, and even though the roof flaps are there, they didn't keep the car on the ground. And once they get the car gets anywhere off the ground, it just overwhelms the roof flaps, and he was doing a barrel roll, and gosh, I forget who, somebody like, then, as the car was rolling through the air, managed to nail the driver's side with the nose of their car as they were tumbling over him. And,
1: uh... Are you watching it? Uh, I clicked a thing, and I was clicking a second <laughs> window, and audio started playing there, so I'm not sure what <laughs> happened.
0: So, yeah, then uh, Ryan Newman ended up, like, crashing... And I know who won it was Denny Hamlin. Denny Hamlin um ended up winning the race. Yeah, for
1: the second year in a row, actually. Yeah.
0: Um, but it was I guess this huge debacle because Denny Hamlin didn't realize that Ryan hadn't gotten out of the car under his own power, like they put up like these like uh like black shades around the car while they were trying to extract him. Like it was really like nobody knew like, they're like, Holy crap. Like did this guy die. Like they didn't know that. So people were kind of upset with, uh, Denny Hamlin. Cause he was like celebrating and they kind of went through the whole thing and they kept showing the replay. Um, yeah, it's kind of shitty, but it turns out. Come to find out this afternoon before recording this, checking up on this story, Ryan Newman is awake alert, talking to people in his hospital bed.
1: Yeah, they haven't on, said, they haven't said the extent of his injuries. They said he's in serious condition, but not uh, but nothing beyond that. Said, yeah, they said it's not life threatening, but right, he's
0: probably got a lot of broken bones or something. Um, not life threatening, but possibly career ending kind of thing. Yeah, he is an older guy. Uh, he's in his 40s, which is pretty old for the sport. Uh, interesting learning about him. He's got a B.S. in engineering from Purdue. Oh wow! So. Yeah, pretty smart guy. And they had talked about... I was I saw it on ABC saying that he had some sort of issues with some of the safety that NASCAR was taking. But, of course, now when I was trying to research that, it's all about this crash. Like, it's difficult to get anything drilled down any further than this crash right now because it's just all up in the search engines. Um, then I didn't realize... These cars are still on the car of tomorrow, quote unquote, chassis yeah, from 2007. Yeah, the car of 10 years ago. And one of the things between when they switched to that car, I learned was that the driver's seat was shifted in four inches from the outer outside of the driver's side. Yeah,
1: as part of oh. the mm. like crash crumple zone almost in a passenger car. Yeah.
0: But they're still running restrictor plates on super speedways. And we've talked about this before.
1: Restrictor plates had two purposes, though. It wasn't just to keep the cars close; It was also to keep the cars from doing 250 miles an hour.
0: Yeah. I mean, which made sense at the time. So uh, it was after Bobby Allison's crash at Talladega where... Towards the very uh, the right end of the race, he blew a tire and took out part of the wall, took out part of the fence at over 200 miles an hour. And for the pole of that race, Bill Elliott set the pole at 212 miles an hour, which is kind of crazy for a NASCAR because they now. said the same year and uh, that uh, the IndyCars set the pole at. Uh, Indianapolis at 216 miles an hour. Yeah, almost a the same speed. Between, yeah, yeah. The difference between an IndyCar and a NASCAR, there's so much more downforce than an IndyCar car, uh, an arrow. But restrictor plates
1: aren't only used in uh, NASCAR. There's a form of it used in other kinds of racing as well. It just it takes more of its own thing in NASCAR because it brings the cars closer together and makes the, you know, quote unquote, the competition better supposedly. Um, but I mean, other sporting events, other other racing events, like even in uh, in rally racing, our beloved rally racing, they have turbo restrictors. You know, they have. A yeah, little, but they don't cause accidents.
0: No, they cause cars to go slower. Uh, yeah, but people can tune around them, but they don't like cause. They don't like bunch cars together. Like that's no, they definitely don't do that. So it's just to kind of even the playing field, so you don't have like. A super like someone can't spend like so much money on an engine that they'd have like a 600 horsepower rally car engine right that would be kind of crazy um yeah it's like i i don't get why they still have them it, they don't really need them not with the
1: technology now
0: well no and and you can Navy. also control
1: speed you can also control speed with gearing too i mean if they had you know, a certain set of gears they had to run on a super speedway, but that would probably also keep them bunched up close together because anything that limits the top speed of the car is going to keep these cars close together. So what do they have to do? Yeah,
0: I don't know. They are coming out with a new chassis, though, instead for 2021.
1: I don't know if they're still going to run restrictor plates. I think that's still up in the air. Well, they're still V8 rear wheel drive cars at the core of it. So, I mean, they're drastically different, but they're still same engines, I think, aren't they?
0: Well, that's what they're carburetor. talking about. No. Uh, they're going to... Well, they haven't been carbureted since 14 or 15, I think. Right. They but they're, like, it. They're, like, they're
1: like throttle body injected almost. They have like a carburetor no. style. I,
0: I believe now they are actually going to injection. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You know, and... Uh, They do want to entice, they're trying to entice other manufacturers like Honda. Um, Of course, Honda doesn't have a production V8, but they do have a V6 with turbos that they run in um, IMSA. So there is talk that possibly they will allow other engines so that other manufacturers will come and race in NASCAR.
1: What do you think about that? I'm 100% for it. Yeah, I mean, it's it will probably again, like anything else, will tick off the traditionalists. But that happens in any kind of sport and any kind of um, platform that you are in, or even non sports. Um, But they've already made lots of changes that people have gotten behind, um, and maybe this will be the thing that puts that you know popularity back into the sport. You know, it's 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 always been kind of ridiculous because you know they they have been stock cars. And stock cars used to be, they were showroom vehicles that were modified to race, and then they morphed into tube frame vehicles. But at least that the production car the body was based on was still a, you know, a full-frame rear-wheel drive V8 American car. And now, since the 90s, when, you know, Pontiac brought out the front-wheel drive Grand Prix and they were running those in NASCAR, and they were a far cry from the car you could buy on the street. When those were front wheel drive V6s and the race cars are rear wheel drive V8s, you know, and up to now with, you know, the Camrys and whatnot that are clearly not anything near what a street Camry is. So it's been kind Mm -hmm. of ridiculous for a while anyway. So why not try something new?
0: Yeah, and they're pulling a lot from the IMSA playbook because NASCAR does own IMSA. So they're looking at it's going to have IRS uh, 18 inch wheels with a lower-profile uh, Goodyear tire still. There is talk, potentially, maybe Michelin might get into it. Yeah, some tire wars um, be good. Yep. Uh, they're going to go with a sequential gearbox, six-speed instead of the four-speed H-pattern. Uh, but likely, the shifter will still be on the transmission tunnel. That's what it'll it'll look, just be up-down. Up yep. Uh, yeah, again, potentially engines other than V8s. And all carbon bodywork. So instead of having uh, sheet metal that can be kind of massaged for aero, it's going to be a standardized carbon bodywork. Okay. And they're talking about it's going to be a single chassis, and possibly built by uh, Delara or somebody. Delara, yep. Yeah. Uh, because they, even though they're an Italian company, uh, and like. The core, the uh, sorry, the Cadillacs that are running, uh, the DPIs, yep, in uh, IMSA, those are Delars. They're just rebadged Delars, um, with Cadillac power plants. You know, whatever Chevy, GM, LS, whatever yeah. they are General Motors based power plants. Um, and I guess part of that, they also have a contract building Indy cars. So they have a factory in Indianapolis. So it's potential that they would probably build a factory in
1: Charlotte or North Carolina. It's going to be an expensive year for NASCAR if they're changing all the cars that drastically in one year. It's going to essentially outdate every piece of equipment that they own.
0: Yeah, and they also said, unfortunately, with a lot of the standardization, they're going to be cutting some personnel potentially too. They want to also, doing all this will also lower the cost of racing in the long run, they hope. And they're talking about putting a freeze on any rule changes for the lower series, anything under the top level NASCAR, which is what? Monster Energy Cup now?
1: Uh, I, again it's the cigarette cup chase for the cell phone. I don't I don't know what it is anymore. It's changed so much. Yeah. It, was, it was the Winston Cup forever. And then when the ban on tobacco advertising came in, it's been like a and rotating door of mainline sponsorships. So
0: well, anyways, anything lower than that top level series, they're talking about freezing. That way they can use all the equipment that still exists for a few more years in the lower level of the series. Yeah, it would be a trickle down
1: to the, to the, yeah. lower, series, the lower series are yeah. more of a budget series anyway. So that makes sense that they could get, you know, the used equipment and stuff from the top level teams as they continue to improve their chassis. It kind of yeah. like be being, being the little sibling, you get the leftover clothes, you know? Yeah, exactly.
0: So that was all very interesting. Um, just, you know, I think if it changed like that, and they're talking about doing some other, specifically this year, they're doing some race changes. I was reading. Just, because I've been so out, far out of NASCAR. I was reading about it today. Uh, they're talking about doing a double header at Pocono this summer. Okay. Uh, so a Saturday Sunday double header race, not like Bush Series, not Bush Series anymore but top level, top top level, top level. level. Uh, And then it would give them a two week break because apparently the broadcast deal with uh, NBC, NBC is covering the summer Olympics this year, which is two weeks. So that's part of the the plan there. And then they're also saving like the teams don't have to travel to two different racetracks. They're just going to stay there for one weekend. So uh, that's kind of cool. I mean, I should look in to see what weekend that is. Pocono's not that far. That'd be kind of cool. No, I've never been there.
1: It's a weird track too. It's like a triangle. A trioval. No, a trioval is Daytona, but um, what's Pocono? It's a there's a different I, name for it. It's, it's a strange shape. They don't call it a trioval though. I thought it was a trioval. No, Daytona is a trioval because Daytona has turn one, two, three, and four, and it has a little kink there in the front. That's Daytona's is a know. trioval. Well, now this is
0: trivia. We're going to, have to figure out because I thought it was a trioval.
1: Nope, Pocono Raceway shape. Yeah, it's like a it only has three turns technically, I think, right? Yeah. They call it a triangle. Okay, so its nickname is the Tricky Triangle. Okay. But it's not a trioval. There's no I don't think there's a name for the style of racetrack that it is. It's a weird I don't know any other racetrack that's like that. According to this, it's five hours from Boston. So mm. wouldn't be wouldn't be too far of a drive.
0: Yeah, because I'm just not that into uh Loudon's kind of boring after a while.
1: Well, it's not that it's boring, it's just we've seen the race there so many times and it's the same thing all the time. And although twenty twenty one might be an interesting year to go back and see the car of tomorrow. Or actually yeah. the car of tomorrow is this year. The car of the next car of tomorrow. <laughs> In the in the year two thousand, <laughs> tomorrow, the, the the day after tomorrow, car. Yeah, well, it'd be interesting to see that. And actually, it would be good to get to a road course race this year because we've never been to an NASCAR road course race, and it would be neat to see them before they become basically sports cars.
0: Yeah, because that's what's happening. Yeah, should, they, really they, get, they
1: go, should really get to Watkins Glen. They're <laughs> go they're going full independent this next year, right? Hmm. So I mean, right. the difference between them and an IMSA sports car is going to be negligible, almost. The racing will probably be pretty similar on road courses anyway. I'm imagining
0: what will look like it's gonna be like um Australian
1: supercar. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Which is an amazing series to watch. Yeah. I, I don't think that we'll get some of the cool stuff like they do all road courses and they do standing starts and all that stuff. It's really neat, but no. I think it, it's it'll be kind of neat to see the the oh, I bet there'll be some crossover of some drivers and stuff too. Mm-hmm. But that will be a big promotional thing they'll do for both to try to get, you know, some NASCAR fans in Australia and some Australian V8 fans to watch NASCAR. You know, it's a mutually beneficial relationship if they do, because the cars are so similar now. And you even look at the um, V8 supercars and the, all the other touring car style races in Australia now. They run a similar NASCAR style body setup where it's a standardized body with, you know, a different nose cone to make it a Ford or a Chevy. Yep. Yep. Holden on a, you know, Vauxhall or whatever it is they run out there. I'm not yeah. familiar with the cars there at all either, but that, that will definitely be interesting. And I've always loved that V8 touring car style racing. So it might help me get back into watching some NASCAR stuff. Yep. But I, I think the one thing that NASCAR has always been uh, averse to and would probably be good for them would be to make more road courses or utilize, not make more, but utilize more road courses
0: they kind of did in the earlier days and then it just got into the big spectator sport that it became in the late, late 90s and 2000s even before that i would say
1: late 70s is when it went more more spectator over mm, it
0: it the, the sport exploded as a uh, nationwide sport though in the late 90s.
1: Yeah, I think that was due like to that's
0: c- when it, cable coverage and whatnot. Exactly. And that's when it realized like it was easier and especially for spectators, it's easier to be on an oval because everybody can see the
1: entire racetrack at once. Right. But when you make something easy, you get the lowest common denominator of fans, which also brought the sport down, I think. Yeah. Because again, without, you know, alienating listeners of the show, there's a certain demographic that's thought about what you think about the typical NASCAR fan and it's not the sports car fan NASCAR dads. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> NASCAR dads from certain States. Well, nonetheless, I've, I've always enjoyed NASCAR to a degree. When I was a kid, I watched it all the time and I think you did too. You watched a lot more than you do now. Um, yep. and we were Way more into it. Well, it was the
0: only thing that was on.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and the, the racing has always been good. It's always been a lot of good back and forth and passing because the cars being the nature of the cars, they were pretty robust and could beat and bang off each other without too much of a uh, side effect on, on arrow or mechanical damage. Um, so it's always been kind of exciting to watch. And I think if they make it the right changes and they put the right people in charge and they make it more of a global sport, it might uh, it might help it and it might make it interesting to watch again mm-hmm the past two or three years i've said i'm gonna to try to watch more nascar this year i'm gonna to try to get back into it this year and learn the new rule changes and because there's all kinds of rules like races are in stages now and there's you know lucky dog rules about getting back your lead your your lap down your down laps and stuff like that and i don't understand any of it just because i haven't been watching it but
0: well the other problem is too that it's on a sunday afternoon which if it's a nice day outside I'm outside doing things I'm not yeah. sitting in front of a TV watching NASCAR and then if I I have no desire to record it because I don't want to watch it afterwards because yeah you, just watch you already highlights. know it yeah. yeah I already know what happened
1: but um yeah that's probably part of the problem I know a lot of people try to watch you know sports unrecorded and try to avoid the results all day and it's just it's hard Especially when you become a fan of things because naturally you start following things that are going to give you the results before you want them. Exactly. (laughs) You need to make it a point not to check your Instagram if you don't want to see who won the Indy 500. Excuse me, the Daytona 500 before you watched it. All right. In
0: other uh, longstanding vehicle news, kind of like the uh, car tomorrow keeps soldiering on. Uh, the Nissan Frontier update, still in production for 2020.
1: Yeah. Update, no update. Next story. Yeah.
0: Uh, I mean, this is like crazy, right? People not have been knocking Mitsubishi for keeping their stuff in production. Yeah. But come on, this this truck's been in production since the second gen has been in production since 2005. But at the
1: end of the day, they're still selling them. So people still want them, but they're the only small truck on the market. Up until 2019, they were still available with a manual transmission. So you could get a base model, you know, simple truck with a manual transmission. And they made a truck for people that wanted it. You know, if you wanted a no frills truck, you bought a Frontier. But that being said, as a consumer, I have a hard time paying 20 something thousand dollars for something that looks like I could have possibly bought it from a used car lot for four. Exactly. That's a bit of an issue. Um and then
0: they made a big deal out of it that it's getting the all new powertrain for 2020. Yes. Um it's getting a 3.8 V6 versus the four liter V6, but mm-hmm. it makes more power. Mm-hmm. And it also like I screenshotted, like, I got a suggested Facebook ad because it was like, all, it was like Forrester, all new Power Trade. <laughs> uh, sorry, Forrester.
1: Frontier. Frontier. Yeah. All new Power Trade. Trade. Yeah. <laughs> it's, they're also oh, going to lose the manual in 2020. It's a new transmission and they're going to, they're dropping the manual option. So. That's nice. Yeah, because
0: this is how they. I I for some reason got the sponsored post Nissan trucks. The twenty twenty Nissan Frontier debuts at the Chicago Auto Show with an all new powertrain, the heart of the next generation Frontier. Right. <laughs> Coming spring twenty twenty,
1: and I'm sure it had the pictures um, of the like the ghosted hood, so you could see the new engine with the hood closed. That's the picture I kept seeing.
0: No, this is like uh, auto show photos. Okay. So but yeah, the, I know the, what you're talking all, about.
1: the all knew exactly the same truck auto show pictures. Yeah. It's so funny, but yeah, no, it's they, won't. Like, they uh, it's still gotta be like 20 grand. So it's still a decent price for the base model, I guess, but I don't know. I mean, I kind of dig it. It kind of just soldiers on and it does what it does quietly. And nobody's really ever complained about it. And I think the only reason anybody's even brought it up is because they announced that they're going to be making a new one. I think yeah. they just kept quietly making the 15 year old Frontier and didn't say anything. In 2035, somebody would be going out and buying a new one and not even thinking about it.
0: I think they did quietly keep making it and somebody forgot to tell them not to, like, oh crap, we forgot to tell them to stop making that. And they just kept doing it.
1: But that's Nissan's MO. How long has the 370C been out now? Oh, probably... uh, Almost as long. 08? I think it came out in 08? So you're talking 11 years. You know, and the 350Z was a little shorter of a run. You know, how long has the GTR been the same car now? 08 as well? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, mean, they've made, you know, trim changes and engine changes and stuff, but essentially it's the same car. And the weird thing about the GTR is they still sell those too. And... When the that price car, keeps going up. Yeah, that's the thing. When that car came out, it was seventy grand, and now it's two hundred, hundred and thirty, hundred and forty, two hundred, dollars 140, dollars whatever it costs. I haven't been in the market lately, obviously, but I know it's like twice what it was new. Yeah, and like comes in the factory with the same
0: amount of horsepower.
1: Yeah, it hasn't changed much. The MSRP starts now at one hundred and thirteen grand. Weird. But I mean, it looks just like the 2009 GTR. It hasn't really changed much. <laughs> I don't know. I don't see the, I, I don't see it being a big news story that Nissan hasn't changed his truck. I think when Nissan does change his truck, it'll be a big news story. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, it's one hundred and thirteen grand for the five hundred and sixty horsepower version. Okay. The six hundred horsepower version, the Nismo package. Would you like to just take a stab in the dark of how much that costs? The top of the line GTR. If it's one hundred and thirteen for okay. a base model. One seventy five. Two hundred and ten. Whoa. So it's literally two base model GTRs to buy one Nismo. So that's Man, that's it. That was always the other crazy thing
0: to me. This is a little tangent, but selling a GTR, at least here in the States at a Nissan dealer and asking $200,000 for it. You do not get a two dollars Buyer experience at a Nissan dealership. You definitely get a
1: two hundred dollar buyer experience, not a like two hundred thousand dollar. Yes. That's what I meant. Yeah. Thank you. You do get a two hundred dollar buyer experience. Well, it's the oh, same problem. We certainly do. Yeah, it's you'll, the same you'll problem. You'll get some popcorn and balloons, and <laughs> it's the same problem that Hyundai has right now with their Genesis program. You know, they're they're have they're creating this premium brand, but they're forgetting to make the premium brand buying experience that infinity and Lexus did back in the late eighties.
0: Well, that's what's so weird. Infinity exists. They could have just called it the infinity GTR and sold it at infinity dealers. And people here in the United States are like, Oh yeah. $200,000 for a luxury
1: car. Not a big deal. Now there was, there was no room with that screen to put the infinity analog clock in there though. So they would not want to do it. Yeah. $200,000 for a Datsun. Now you sound like an old man, (laughs) but I listen. I understand why the car is two hundred grand. If it's you know the world beating limited production, whatever, 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 and I understand somebody buying that car. I mean, it it was world beating in two thousand eight. It wouldn't be me spending two hundred thousand dollars on. I mean, two hundred thousand dollars buys you a lot of other cars. It buys you a hell of a Porsche. Yeah, you know it does. <laughs> that's the that's the big problem. It buys you a really, really nice Porsche. Yeah, the GTR was always kind of a, a world-beating car at a much lower price than everything else. And, you know, I think in the '90s they were probably 40, 50 grand, right? They're probably like Corvette money. Yeah. It. Yeah. Exactly. It buys you a really nice Porsche
0: or like, two or three C sevens. Yeah, and maybe one and a half
1: C eights. It buys you a Porsche and a diesel pickup to tow to, to and from the track with. Yeah, exactly. So it's it just doesn't seem like it's a a wise purchase anymore. When the car came out at like seventy, eighty grand, it was, you know, it, it car made sense. But for the car to be out for this long and not have any changes, I mean, not any significant changes. They've made again, computer changes and engine changes and whatnot. But yeah.
0: I don't get right, it. We're also, we're,
1: also, we're, not, we're not the market for these cars. We're we not even yeah we're not even the market for a twenty thousand dollars pickup truck. So I mean, let's be honest here. That's we're not they're not selling this car to us. Obviously, nope. Two two hundred grand some, here in Phoenix. I'm buying a house. Yeah, you had some new
0: diecast stuff that's coming out. Well, that I did a couple
1: interesting pieces of news diecast wise. One was a little we're a little late in the update because apparently it's been out for about two or three months. I didn't realize it. So there are a couple of premium die-cast brands that generally make American cars um, and muscle car-era American cars. Uh, Green Light is one of them, and Auto World is another. And the Auto World cars are almost what I would consider Tomica limited vintage quality for 6 bucks versus 25 for Tomica car. These, for those who don't know, are 164 scale, so generally Hot Wheel sized kind of collectible die-casts. Um, Greenlight came out with a Volkswagen Golf GTI, a first generation, so a Rabbit in the United States, which is kind of big news for a manufacturer that usually makes Mustangs, Firebirds, Camaros, Chevelles. Um, they did make a Beetle and a air-cooled bus before that, which kind of has a little bit of Volkswagen stuff, but it also appeals to the same crowd that is into the muscle cars. The uh, Rabbit GTI doesn't, <laughs> but... I, for one, I'm kind of neat to see these manufacturers of diecast cars stepping up to what the current trends are in the market, which is obviously foreign cars. Um, But the big news is AutoWorld, who is, again, a much more high-end version of these diecast cars, is doing a Dodge Stealth, which is not anything relevant at this moment in time. Um, Is it an early one or a late one? It's in the first couple years body style, so the black headlights and the good-looking ones. Weird. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of neat that it's happening, and uh, I'm totally down with it, and uh, I can't wait for them to come out because, you know, as a die-cast collector and a Mitsubishi diecast collector, a die Stealth is nothing more than a 3000 GT, and I'm sure it will look good on the shelf next to the 3000 GTs, which I already have. So it's just kind of neat that the, uh, the market is shifting a little bit in even the die-cast world. Um, because they're realizing that there's a market that hasn't been tapped, um, other than by the Japanese manufacturers, you know, Hot Wheels has got their, their line of Japanese cars has been doing very well, um, at a basic, you know, $1 Hot Wheels car or a $5 premium Hot Wheels car, but these cars are like the next level. So it's neat to see it. And it just, it just goes to show the trends of the real, real car world, just in scale. So things that used to be kind of laughed about are starting to become collectible. And they're only laughed about by people who didn't know, you know.
0: <laughs> Boy, uh, Hot Wheels has really gotten their money worth out of the 510
1: casting. Uh, they have. Um, But they also haven't rested on it either. As their technology has improved, they've improved the casting as well. And they've recast it now twice, I think. If you oh, really? look, if you look at one of the first ones next to the one of the ones that's out now, the one that's out now has much more crisp details and like defined lines around the grills and the lights and the bumpers and everything. So they haven't been like resting on their successful casting. They've made it better and improved it over the course of the ten years that it's <laughs> been out now. So I just
0: say that because that new track day, is it a track day series um, is out?
1: Door slammers, I think. Door slammers. It's weird because door slammers are generally known as drag cars, but I mm-hmm. won't let that get in the way. Yes, so no, they have a five ten in that line. Yeah. Well, anyway, that's all I have for, for diecast stuff today. I'm just I'm excited to see the uh the stealth. Yep. i always always and that.
0: on to whatever everyone has been waiting for
1: the Starian update. Well, we teased on Instagram. Actually, we didn't tease it on Instagram. I teased it on my personal page. <laughs> oh, okay. I kind of
0: teased on Instagram because you could see the oh, yeah, the video, video you did. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, i I feel like we talked about it a really long time ago. Can you give like the super quick version of how it ended up where it was? Okay. Because I think it was literally almost nine years ago. Because I feel like you were going to. Our friend was having an anti-Valentine's Day party. Yeah, it was almost
1: nine years ago to the day. It was fe- yeah. February 12th, 2011. Mm-hmm. Um, I was heading to a gathering at a friend's house. Uh, the same friend, actually, who sold you the WRX. Yeah. I uh, think you were. You had to
0: get pizzas or something.
1: I went a different route that I normally would have taken because I was stopping to pick up pizza on the way there, um, which obviously, you know year one little change and the butterfly effect happens the next thing you know you total star in um, so I went a different route uh, and it was the middle of February it was winter time there had been a lot of snow that year a lot of snow that was the year that every three or four days it snowed you know six inches to a foot and we had I think 150 inches by the end of the winter no 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 it was up that there. was 2015 <laughs> okay well this was maybe 100 inches by the end of winter it was it was one of the really bad snow years. Because I have a picture of the car right before the accident happened parked in front of the snow pile at work. And the snow pile is, you know, five star tall behind it. So it was definitely a lot of snow that winter. Regardless, the point of it is the snow piles on the side of the road were very high. And I was driving down a main road um, and somebody came out of a side street without the benefit of stopping and looking to make sure nobody was coming down the main road. Um, and I T-boned there, obviously, Nissan Altima. Um... They were 100% at fault. The car was, you know, written off by the insurance company, but it was a 2011 insurance claim. So, the car being in 1984, they didn't take the car in a salvage yard. They're just like, we don't want this. You keep the car. Here's the money. So, of course, I did. It doesn't get a salvage title or anything. It stays clean title. Not that that matters. Um, car got parked. I couldn't find fenders, I couldn't find a spoiler. I couldn't find a few of the parts that I needed for early flat body Starion, um, And then I found parts. And once I found parts, it had already been probably a year. And I said, okay, I'm going to start working on this car. But instead of just fixing the front of the car, I'm going to get ambitious. And I'm going to fix all of the rust on the car. And make this thing, like, super nice. So, I did something that I'll probably never do again. And... Uh, I, I preach this theory to everybody all the time now. Don't take the car all the way apart. Unless you have a really serious plan and a lot of money. So I took the car all the way apart. The entire interior was out. All the lights were out. Um, it was stripped down as far as it could go and still be sort of mobile. Um, and I brought it to a shop that I was working at at the time and put it on the chassis lift frame machine and started cutting out the rust well moving a little bit forward i didn't finish that job of changing all the rusted panels out and i wound up leaving that particular job and then i had to move the car out of that job because i wasn't there anymore and then i didn't have a place to work on the car and the car sat waiting for a place to work on the car and then the car sat some more and the car sat some more and then about five years in, I decided to pull it out and start working on it again. And I quickly ran out of space to work on it again. And the car sat and sat and sat. So those of you who know me know it's been an interesting decade of my life. Um, but in this decade of my life, things have gotten gone from good to bad to good to bad. And now ultimately they're great again. And the car has always kind of been there on the sideline. So... I decided that the best plan to do would be to put it back together in a, I don't want to say restored manner, but in a drivable manner, just so we can enjoy it. Oh, it's not restored. Not restored. No, it's restored to mobile, mobile status. I'd say it's a little beyond that. We did there. We did put some patches in the floors um, and we did a couple other things to it to make it a little bit more livable. But, I mean, everybody's probably seen pictures of it by now. It's a white car with a red fender and a red, sorry, a maroon fender and a maroon header panel and one maroon headlight door and a bright red front bumper and a black and gold two-tone fender on the other side. And it's kind of an off-white color and one of the doors is bright white. um, And there's a lot of black primer spots that just covered some bare metal. Um, It's not pretty. It's not, it's not pretty. But it kind of has a neat attitude about it, and I kind of like it, and uh, I'm not embarrassed to drive crappy cars, obviously, because that's kind of what we've made our life around here, as uh, the Auto Off Topic podcast goes. We have nice cars, but we also have had most of our fun in crappy cars, (laughs) so I'm I'm kind of okay with it. Uh, And we're going to get to another topic in a little bit, too, about the uh, acceptable level of disrepair and the acceptable amount of hacking that you can do to a car and still be okay with driving the car. Um, and this car has both of those things in spades, like really, really strongly. There's, not, there's no denying this car is not something that you would uh, expect anybody to get. And I don't expect anybody to get it. Um, anybody who does get it, I appreciate, but you don't have to get it. I get it. And that's all that matters. Uh, one thing I have learned in the past 10 years is, uh, it's more important to make yourself happy with things than to do what you think other people should do. So other people think you should do. So I've been told a thousand times to throw this car in the trash. Uh, and I, I just won't do it. So, uh, the car has a neat story, much like a lot of my cars. I get lost in that story and I don't think of it as metal anymore. Um, I don't know, Andrew, should I tell a story of the car's origin again? It's probably been a while. Uh, I can, can. touch on it real quick. Um, so, I bought the car from the original owner. It only has eighty three thousand miles on it, eighty four thousand miles on it. Well, hold on, I found it on Craigslist. Yes, this is true. I'll give Andrew. But four. I, I had,
0: I think, what happened? Oh, I didn't want it. <laughs> no, no, I, I yeah, I ended up, I ended up trading. "Quote unquote," trading you the Mirage for it, yeah. basically. So you found the car. You basically paid. I paid for the car, and you gave me the Mirage, and then you because right. this was our this is an eight hundred dollar car, right? Again, our magic number. So i I paid for the Starian. You gave me the Mirage. I ultimately probably got the better deal. Well, because
1: <laughs> that car lasted a lot longer. <laughs> so the theory here is. Um, That we love $800 cars, and they're usually Mitsubishis. I think think you found the car, and you're like, I want to go look at this. And I was like, all right, cool. That's a neat car. Let's go look at it. And we went and looked at it, and you were like, it's crappier than I think it should be. I don't think I want it. And I was like, it's just crappy enough. I think I want it, but I shouldn't buy it because I don't have the cash or the room for it right now. And I was daily driving the Mirage at the time. And that's where I think it was like, you were like, hey – I would drive the Mirage, and I was like, sweet, 800 bucks."
0: <laughs> yeah, I wanted a winter car, but
1: I didn't want a rear drive winter car. Right. So I was the dummy who gave you the solid, non-rusted running Mirage. Oh, it was definitely not non-rusted. Uh, I think at the time, it was still pretty good. This is pretty early on. Yeah, at the time, it was pretty rusty. All right. Well, it was less rusty than the, than the starion was. The Also, the uh, I gave you – all right, let's put it this way. I traded you my perfectly good running daily driver. For a 1984 Starian of unknown origin in somebody's backyard covered in leaves. Um, that's, that's on brand for you. 100% on brand. So I'm ready to do it again. Who wants a Volkswagen for a rusty old Starian? Um, so we, we bought the car. We brought it home. Uh, we cleaned it up. And it actually cleaned up really nice other than the giant holes in the water panels. The interior is mint. Uh, it turns out that the owner who I bought it from, the original owner, Uh, bought it in 1984, the first year his company was in business because he was successful in his first year in business. So he said, I'm going to buy myself a brand-new car, and I'm going to buy my mom a brand-new car. And because he was his first year in business, he wanted something that represented that. And Mitsubishi's first year in business, full first year in business in the United States was 84. 83 officially, but 84 for the first full year. So he went to Mitsubishi in Lynn, which is now Mitsubishi in Danvers, where both of us have worked at different times, uh, and he bought the brand-new 84 Starion ES Turbo. It's the only package it doesn't have is the Technica Talking, talking Dash, uh, which wouldn't be a Technica if it wasn't this Conquest, but anyway. And he bought his mom a brand-new Cordia, which unfortunately was not around to purchase in 2009 when we bought the Starian. Um, so I bought the car. I loved it. I drove it. I dailyed it. It was already rusty, so I didn't feel bad driving it in the wintertime. Car ran great. It turns out it had a brand new engine put in it in like 2002 or 2003 because he brought it to the Mitsubishi dealer for service, believe it or not, <laughs> that late in his life. And they forgot to put coolant back in it when they were done. And they, he left the parking lot and immediately blew it up like, you know, a mile down the road. So they owed him a brand new engine and it got a brand new Mitsubishi long block put in at the time. So the engine of the car only has like 10,000 miles on it. So that's part of the car's story as well. Uh, On top of that, it has what Mitsubishi calls the VelNAS system, which is vehicle electronic lap and something system control. It's basically an early, um, uh, what do you call it, a trip computer. So it does your instant fuel economy, your average fuel economy, your miles to empty. uh, But it also does uh, lap times and a couple other Things for using the car on a track, which is interesting. Um, it's a pretty rare setup. I I've never seen another one in a vehicle working, and it works perfectly in this car. So it's another reason that I've fallen in love with the car because of that. And the final reason I fell in love with the car is because it has on it a set of Anki 92 wheels in a 15x7 with a zero offset that were bought in 1986. And in 1986, my father was the Anki wheel dealer in the area. And these wheels came from my father's wheel store in 1986. Um, and I have the receipt and everything from when he bought the wheels brand new. So that's also kind of a cool connection to have with the car. So I've always just kind of stuck with this car through, for whatever reason, it's been stored in five or six different places. Uh, ultimately, it's been in my father's, my parents' yard for the past four or five years, much to their wonderment and enjoyment. Um But finally, it's together again. Um, We've been slowly piecing it together, slowly hammering out the bodywork in the front, getting the fenders hung back on it, getting the bumper hung back on it, getting everything going back on the car. Car always ran. Um, We had a coil go out on it once. No, that was the other car. Never mind. We had minor little things go wrong with it over the years. You know, the old fuel in it kind of sat and gummed things up a little bit. Um, But ultimately, last time we were using it and playing around with it and putting it together, the fuel pump died. So we kind of parked it and said, well, next time I'm back in Massachusetts, I'll order a fuel pump ahead of time and we'll try to slap a fuel pump in it real quick and uh, see if we can get it running again. And if it's something beyond the fuel pump, maybe we'll try to make a harder to make decision about the car. So I bought a fuel pump, shipped it to Massachusetts. I was in mass for two days this weekend and uh, we slammed it together. And that's where Andrew comes in. If you want to tell the story of the, uh, titanic starion fuel pump lines
0: well i noticed that uh our buddy ron had swapped his fuel pump because it died so i was like hey man nope. can you uh because he dropped the tank in his not that rusty or very very not rusty yeah not, not that
1: rusty not rusty at all Starion.
0: yeah so he dropped the tank in his and i was like hey man You can send me some more detailed shots of that, because we're going to do it in Brad's car without dropping the tank. Um, There's an access panel under the back hatch. Uh, Like most Mitsubishis have this, they're pretty good about it. However, the fuel pump is not in the tank. Uh, Just the sending unit. so the fuel pump is on the top, but it's just forward of this opening. So we're trying to decide what to do with it. definitely did not want to get into dropping the tank because it's kind of a nightmare.
1: Also because rusty New England gas straps and bolts. That's what I mean. So
0: nice thing about Mitsubishi is they don't actually use gas straps. Oh, right. They're bolted. They're bolted. Um, So those gas tank straps don't rot. But uh, boy. Boy, do those bolts rot. Yeah. 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 And uh, so we decided to take a uh, cutoff wheel, cut some slots up from the opening, and then peel the sheet metal up. And right there, sitting on top of the tank, was a very rusty fuel pump. Well, at least the regular part, or kind of like fuel damper, I don't know what we want to call it, on the end of it, was like super rusty. And we're kind of looking at it. My dad was there looking at it. We're like, I don't know if it's going to come apart. I was like,
1: hmm.
0: Well, either it comes apart or it breaks. If it breaks, then we'll just throw the car away. Well. <laughs> or come back later and make a new fuel line, which is kind of a pain in the ass. But
1: Well, the other, the other thought was if it doesn't work, we'll just buy a JEGS fuel cell and slap it in the bag. Sure. Um...
0: But I was like, "Well, oh, let me try it." So I got some big old channel locks and held on to the fuel pump, like it was an oil uh, like an oil filter, and then turned. I did spray some seafoam deep creep on there. Turned that regulator part off, or damper. I don't know exactly what it does. It's kind of on the end of the fuel pump.
1: It's it not, doesn't have a pressure. It's not to a it. regulator. It's probably it. Just, it probably has something to do with the way the fuel flows. It probably like. Atomizes it properly or whatever somehow. No, no, no. no. <laughs> your atomization would no. I had a your... way way up in the in, in the intake. I understand that, but maybe atomization is the wrong word. But it has something to do That's with the I'm rate saying. of fuel flowing out, but not a regulator.
0: That's why I'm saying it's a, like a fuel damper. It's it's dampening the
1: pulses that you would get out of the which is the pump. What I was saying, but using the wrong vernacular. I know yeah. atomization is the wrong word, but so. It's got
0: a big old honking 21 millimeter, like, uh, nut part of it. So I I put it on there, grabbed it with the channel locks, turned it, and it wasn't that tight. It came undone. I couldn't believe it. Of course, it's got copper crutch washers between it, so it didn't really rust together, but I was
1: super surprised that it
0: even came apart because... It, it
1: really looked like it had become one piece of metal.
0: Mm-hmm. So we managed to take that out. Uh, the other end was just a rubber hose. It popped right off. Put in the new pump. Aftermarket pump fit. Worked fine. Cut. Uh, put new connectors on the wires. Put them on. Screwed it on. It leaked. Yeah, pretty, pretty bad. <laughs> like, really bad. Uh, uh, we had the original crush washer that was on there while I was undoing it, like flinged off under the car somewhere. I don't know where it went. Super annoying. Um, and then in the package of stuff, there was new crush washers and there was a weird looking one that looked like a snap clip with like little tabs on it. Right. And didn't look like it fit anything we had, so we didn't use it. No, it looked like what you would put on the end of a pump to hold the filter on if it was an in-tank pump. Right. That's what it looked like, that clip. Um, so I found some other copper crush washers from brake jobs and we took a round rasp and hollowed it out just a little bit more because it was almost the right size because the it needed to fit on the outside edges of this damper thing without slipping inside of it. Um, I got that on there, cranked it down, it sealed, didn't leak, car started up fine after we charged the battery for 24 hours. Um, and then... We're cleaning up, kind of jumping ahead here. We found the washer that flung off. It looks just like the one that was in the package with the four tabs on it. Um, Yeah, exactly. But whatever, our bespoke handmade artisanal copper gasket works just fine. Uh, And then there was a couple other things. There's like a plastic shield over the thing that we just kind of cut off to get to it. Right. Because it wasn't really doing much of anything.
1: It uh, seems like there. it probably keeps crap from building up in the front of the pump where the connections are. As that's probably its general. Purpose. Well, I guess <laughs> it was still rusty. Obviously, it didn't work.
0: Um, car was filled with acorns and mouse poop and
1: all kinds of good stuff. Yeah, big big shout out to Naomi for helping clean the interior of the car from all of the mouse droppings and acorns from mouse houses.
0: So now uh, we've got a running car with a uh, flap of sheet metal sticking up in the back hatch. So what did you do to solve that? I hit it with a hammer.
1: That was about it. I hit it with with a hammer and I shaped it back to the shape that it was supposed to be. Um, We cut two slots into the floor, probably about a foot, a little less than a foot maybe, uh, and peeled it back. I was able to hit it back with a hammer, knock it back into shape pretty well. Um, and then just put some metal tape over the top of it. Uh, ultimately, it goes underneath like the carpet and stuff in the back, so you'll never see it anyway. Uh, and it keeps out the crud from going into the car with the metal tape. And the little door that holds that goes over where you would think the fuel pump is, but actually it only goes to the sending unit. Um, clips in behind it and then bolts into the front of it so that will actually hold down the the piece of metal that we cut anyway. so it it works. Yeah, and if you ever need to change it again, you can just bend it back up. Yeah, I think that the ultimate plan for this car involves driving it across the country, and I'll probably be knowing that there's a Chinese fuel pump in it. We'll probably buy another Chinese fuel pump to put in the glove box uh, in case you know it decides to die somewhere in Iowa, and uh, I can just change it to the side of the road at that point. Yeah. So then you put all the rest of the interior back together. Well, Well except for like... Let's start. sort of. We missed. We're missing one one important aspect that we're going to cover oh, in our next right. segment. Um, we did use old license plates from the car. Oh, so to patch the holes in the floor that I cut out during my initial um, hopes and dreams of restoring this thing to let let pretty much concourse levels.
0: So before that, in the summertime, we had talked about this. We used piece of the old rotted fender after you put the nose back on the car to patch a large hole behind the driver's seat correct and we did an okay job with that it we had a little couple open spots that if anybody you
1: know, looked packed. at it they would say somebody who's learning to weld did this there's no question yeah yeah it was acceptable
0: uh i mean so then acceptable because we didn't pay for hole. it <laughs> yeah and you still had some other holes that we were gonna weld but we figured yeah Let's do the, uh, the the old hot rod license plate method.
1: Correct, because it's cheap, easy, and quick. And doesn't require so prep. Could...
0: Yeah, so we actually pop riveted the plate down over the hole. And then there's two holes, and then you seam sealed
1: all the gaps. Yeah, these weren't structural pieces. They were just like where the driver's feet would be. Um, over the years, obviously, you know, water from your shoes and salt and everything just kind of ate away some holes in the floor right there. So we just cut out the rust to like a square around where the rust was and put like maybe like a four inch by four inch piece of license plate over it, pop riveted it in. The only thing I had to buy for this, you know, endeavor was a thing of seam sealer. So once we pop yep. riveted them in, we seam sealed the top finished putting the interior of the car in. We didn't put the front carpets in yet because we were still waiting for the seam seal to dry and all that stuff. Yeah, we, I still have to put the whole console in, and that will take some time before I put the carpets in. Um, it's more of a car, though. I mean, you put the taillights. I put the taillights back in. Put a plate on it. Checked all the lights. We rolled. All the, the lights worked. All the lights worked. Yeah, <laughs> we rolled it up on the lift. Um, lifted the lift up. Seam sealed the bottom of the car. Actually, the one thing I remembered after I left and put the car away and came back here is I wanted to spray paint the bottom of the car flat black where the license plate were just to cover any extra spare metal. uh, Bare metal, excuse me, not spare metal. And we didn't do that, but next time, no big deal. Um, So that was good. Everything seemed okay. Decided that the best bet at that point when you haven't driven a car in one year shy of a decade would probably be to drive it. Without the benefit of changing any fluids, yeah, I took it around the block. I took it around a, a big block, probably five or oh, six, yeah. five or six miles. We should mention
0: so during that fuel pump, it just smelled like straight varnish.
1: Yeah, like, the fuel pump. straight, uh, yeah. like straight um, paint thinner. I don't know what do to call it? Paint thinner. Yeah. yeah, didn't smell good, but we also had about five fresh gallons in there, so we figured that the old fuel and the new fuel would make enough. You know. 73 octane fuel to go around the block. <clears throat> it's probably about what it did. <laughs> so around the block, uh, car fires right up, runs super smooth until um, about half throttle, and it falls on its face. But that could also be the old fuel with no um, firing properties left in the- <laughs> it. Could also, yeah, it could. probably
0: also- needs some fuel system cleaner. Probably needs an air filter. I'm
1: going next time I'm back there. Uh, I'm going to do air filter, fuel filter, fuel system cleaner. Plugs, plugs, wires, typical tune-up stuff, oil change. Um, just the typical tune-up stuff you need to do to a car anyway. Again, the car has been sitting for almost a decade. That's a long time. And for it needs sit. A radiator. So we did find that out in the test drive. Uh, it never got hot because it's not a big hole, but there's a pinhole in the radiator. And when I parked the car it was steaming because the fluid was spewing out of the radiator onto hot engine parts.
0: So It probably rotted between the core and the the end tank more than likely because it was at the bottom. And as the car was just sitting, there was just
1: water sitting in there. Yeah. Even though it had coolant, it it's about 10 years. It's also, it rots out. It's also an original, uh, metal tank radiator. So yeah. I could probably send it out and have it re- re- rebuilt. Yeah, probably the, absolutely. Probably the best bet for that. Um, cause it shouldn't be too hard to take it out because early starians don't even have electric, um, Fans. They have a clutch fan in the front of the engine, so literally just take off the shroud and pull the radiator out. It won't be a huge deal. <laughs> so Might cost you two hundred bucks for it, but at this point, after ten years without driving the car, I think two hundred dollars is two hundred dollars well spent. So, but the car. Hey, listen. The car drove. It drove pretty well considering. Um, it pulls nice and hard up to half throttle and falls in its face. But again, that's probably to be expected. Based on everything that's you know we just said, um, I'm excited because that means next time I come out there, I can actually probably almost drive the car. You know, maybe I'll try to get a radiator sent there so I can put a radiator in it in a couple hours versus sending one out to be rebuilt. Who knows? Um, but the important thing is the car can be driven, so I just need to finish putting the interior together, and I think we still got to put the front grill in, but that's not a huge deal, and that's uh, that's really all that's left. So. And then we'll probably spray paint some crappy white paint over the primer spots to make it look a little more presentable. Maybe pop rivets of metal over the holes in the quarter panels. <laughs> but but overall, it's a car again and it drives again. And I drove it again. And let me tell you, that felt good. Because this car's been in the back of my mind for a decade. And you know, even driving around the block was a was a pretty big victory. And, you know, we keep talking about how we're trying to get all of my old garbage gone through and taken care of. And we started with the Raider, which is unfortunately broken again. And then moved on to the Sapporo and, you know, we fixed things in the blue Colt and we're, we're just kind of going through everything and making things work again. And the Starian runs and drives and that's makes me super happy. And I can't thank you and your father and Naomi enough for spending the whole entire day uh, on Sunday, helping me do that. So it's a, it's good. Things are things are moving well. and I think the ultimate plan for that car, because of my sentimental attachment to the car, I don't think it's ever going to be worth restoring that car. It's a lot of work. No, no. It needs no, a no. lot of body work. Um, I think the best bet is going to be to drive the car across country. Um, take all of the good parts out of it. The engine, the suspension, the nice New England non-sun-faded interior, and uh, buy a rolling shell or running shell out here with a sun-baked interior and sun-baked paint, send that shell out for paint and then transfer all of my good parts onto a nice West coast shell out here uh, and have a running, driving minty fresh star for, you know, a couple of grand tops. Yeah. I think that's the ultimate plan for that car. So, and restore the wheels on the car and all that stuff and make it, make it nice and uh, make it the showpiece that I originally dreamed about the car being when I finished restoring it. So, I don't think that's too ambitious of a plan. I think it's a lot more reasonable than what I have. And I'll just take let's say, legitimately everything out of the car, including that, you know, Velnas computer system and that 10,000 mile engine and transfer it all over to a nice solid shell. So, yep. I I already have a lean, a, lean a, a line on a couple of shells out here that are you've been, already you've already taken out a title loan and <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> a lean that. <laughs> No, there's, uh, there's two here in Phoenix, and there's two in Vegas, and I kind of have my pick of all of them for super cheap monies, and uh, one of them will be that plan for that eventually. But I think for now the plan is just to enjoy the car in Massachusetts when I'm there visiting um, and use it as basic transportation and, uh, and go from there. So Cool. You think you would drive it to Radwood, Philly? That's potential. Potential. There's, okay. a big, there's a big, there's a lot of to do that would have to happen in a short period of time to make that a thing because how far away, sure is, is. how far away is that? That's in March, April, April 5th. So that would require me getting there, getting the car, running and driving with a new radiator interior in the car and a full tune up to make sure it's ready to go in a month. So yeah, it's the problem is I don't think I'd be, I, I think it would require two trips. Mm-hmm. so I don't oh, okay. I don't have two trips in me financially in order to make that happen. So I do want to try to get to Redwood, Philly. I may just either fly to Boston and drive with you or just fly into Philly and have you pick me up there because it was a lot of fun last time, mm-hmm. and I'd like to go back again this time. So we'll see. It's not, it's up in the air. Before that is Redwood, Austin, and I'm going to that with the Eclipse. So
0: Yeah, I'd like to get the – I'm playing a technical lot, so – do the normal springtime oil change, oh. and I think I'm actually going to try to get to doing the black window trim. Yeah, <laughs> because it's absolutely uh, it, it shouldn't take too much work. It doesn't won't take any really disassembly of the car. Well, the cowl panel needs some paint, so I'll pop that out. Um, I already have the paint. I have the sandpaper. I have plenty of masking stuff. I just never got to it in the last couple of years. So I think I think that'll be my goal. It's kind of low risk. Yeah, should be able to get it done. That's a relaxing project.
1: Yeah. It's low risk, it's not difficult, and the results will be really good.
0: Yeah. So yeah, that's probably the only thing I plan on doing that. Just the like I said, the oil change, general checkup, make sure it's okay. Should be uh, to drive that far. And uh,
1: Do we we want to wanna go into our, our discussion here about the acceptable level of hackery? I'm gonna save that for a later date. Um, we can save that. Yeah, I, th- I think so. I think that I want to do a little more, uh, a little more research about some things, and we'll talk about that later.
0: So, well, let's cover some events that's coming up. You mentioned Radwood Austin. That's
1: February twenty ninth. Yep, leap leap day. Uh, yep. I will be caravanning out there with Ron in his Japanese Trans Am, aka the Starion. Mm-hmm. Which actually, quick project car update on Ron's car. We had an incident a couple weeks ago where his rear glass got shattered. Yep. Um, He found a rear hatch in the correct color north of Sacramento, California, which if anybody who's not from the West Coast doesn't know, that is nowhere near Phoenix. Um, So he rallied himself uh, in his truck and drove straight there to the junkyard to buy that hatch in the correct color. Bought the hatch, turned around, bought a Buick Riata as well for some reason, which... Now that I've seen it and sat in it and played around with it, I kind of understand it's it's kind of a terrible car, but it's kind of an neat car. We'll have Ron on in the near future to discuss that purchase uh, and rallied his way right back down here to Phoenix uh, in a day and a half, which is pretty impressive considering how far away he went to get this part. Um, so earlier in this past week, I went over there and helped him swap the hatch over. It's possible with one person. It's better with two, so you don't wind up with two broken hatches classes. Um, but so his car is all set now to go as well. So you'd be uh, debuting that new hatch at Austin.
0: Cool. And then uh, there's Redwood March in South Carolina. Yep.
1: Neither of us are going to that one. Nope. Um
0: And Philly, April 8th. And then April Southern 5th. New Hampshire Cars
1: and Coffee. 5th. April 5th. Sorry.
0: April. Southern New Hampshire Cars and Coffee. First event is April 19th. And that is the Coffee
1: Factory in Salem, New Hampshire. Excellent. All right. Anything else? I Where think. Where can that, they find you? Uh, my Instagram is tsi three
0: five zero. And you can always find us Auto Off Topic podcast on Facebook, Auto Off Topic on Instagram, and me Race and Anger on Instagram. So keep cars analog, and aim for the roses.